Thank you so much, worship team, and it's a joy to see you all this morning. And if you've decided to join us online, we're so glad that you are here with us to worship the Lord and to open up His Scripture. And let's do that very thing. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Romans? Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Romans 13, verse 1. And this morning, we are going to look at God, government, and gratitude. And it was to a Christian church in Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire, that the Apostle Paul wrote this epistle to that we are going to examine this morning. And I think even though this was written some 2,000 years ago, that it has great application for us as well. Romans 13, beginning in verse 1, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, wrote these words. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Let's pray as we go through the scriptures this morning. Father God, we thank you for moving in history. That some 2,000 years ago in Rome, there were believers in Jesus Christ. And by the power of your spirit, this letter was sent to them. But that it speaks to all Christians in all ages, in all places, to help us navigate how we are to live in this world that we can best glorify Jesus Christ. And we pray that is our aim this morning, that because we have encountered your words and because you have saved our souls, that we are so grateful and thankful for you moving in our lives, that that is our end goal, to glorify Jesus in all that we do. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. I don't know if you noticed, but there was an election that occurred uh, last week. Now, living next to Ohio, we have the unique privilege of being bombarded by political ad after political ad after political ad, because our TV stations and, and radio stations are so similar. But I hate to tell you this, they're not really after us. They're not after the uh, mere eight electoral votes, the puny electoral votes of Kentucky. No, they want our neighbor to the north. They want the 18 electoral votes of Ohio, the swing state of Ohio, with a population topping 11 million people. Now, it is amazing the focus that has been placed on that state in elections past. 
Sometimes I feel like we're waiting to see who has become president of the United States of Ohio. But this year, maybe Nevada tried to steal the show a little bit with attention. But it is not to say that the, there are not some ads that are completely focused on Kentucky. And as technology has changed and where our eyes gaze has changed, the politicians have gone there too. I can't tell you how much my 10-year-old son and my 8-year-old daughter and 4-year-old son have complained because they want to watch a cartoon on YouTube and they keep seeing ads for Mitch McConnell and Amy McGrath. And they have told me, Dad, I'm tired of this. For months I keep watching this. Why can't they just have commercials about toys and video games? That has been their complaint. Well, no matter who won last Tuesday, I think we are able to say that we are blessed to be Americans. And as we head into this Thanksgiving season, I think that we should be able to say that we are thankful to be Christians who get to minister for God in the United States of America. We can deliberately worship God. We can gather together and lift up his praises. And we should have gratitude for that. Now, it would seem then that if our focus was to be on gratitude this morning, that the last thing I should talk about is an election, that that will deviate from our purpose. But I think as Christian thinkers who are called by God to have a biblical Christian worldview, that we should focus our attention on monumentally, historically significant items like we have encountered right now in this election. I think it's our Christian responsibility to ask ourselves, what would God in his word have us to do in moments like this? And as Christians who happen to live in America... I think that we will see that we have much to be grateful for and to learn about from the book of Romans. Now, I do want to communicate something. When the Bible addresses government, its content is authoritative and its content is true because it is the very word of God. And if Donald Trump had won, the Bible would still be true. And if Joe Biden is the victor, this content is still true. Because this sermon is not a Democrat thing, and it's not a Republican thing, it's a biblical thing. The Bible is not silent on how we are to interact with our government, and it compels us to consider the assertions that are made throughout the Scripture of how we are to do so. In fact, the Scripture that we are going to contemplate on today, in 2016, I preached on this same Scripture when Donald Trump was the victor. And its reflections are true in the scriptures, even if the other side wins. Because I believe what the Bible would do first when we consider government is have us make this application. In Romans 13, 1 through 2, I believe the application is this. In gratitude, submit to governing authorities. Look with me again in verse 1. What does the Apostle Paul say? Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, with every single text we have in the Bible, we must ask, what did this mean to the original recipients, to the Christians who were in Rome 
some 2,000 years ago, when they received this letter, what did it mean to them? Because only when we understand that will we be fully equipped to have the correct interpretation of what it means now. So Paul was writing to a church in the city of Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire was the most powerful regime on the planet when this letter was written. And many scholars believe that the Apostle Paul probably sent this letter in the late 50s A.D. This means the letter was written sometime between the reigns of the Roman Emperor Claudius and his successor Nero. I want to show you this picture real quick. These are coins issued by Claudius that have both Nero and Claudius' image. And as a teacher of history, I geek out at things like this. That we can literally have coins that you can go to museums and you can examine from this time period. If you go to the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, they have this on display, coins from the time of Jesus and his contemporaries. And I find it to be amazing. So, so who, who were these two figures, Claudius and Nero, that when, the, when Romans was written, And when the recipients read this, when they thought about the governing authorities, these are the guys that they would be thinking of. Claudius was a power-seeking ruler conquering parts of modern-day Britain and other realms. He worshipped the false gods of Rome, and the Roman Empire funded the worship of these false gods. Claudius was not very tolerant of other religions proselytizing and may have even expelled Jewish Christians from Rome during his tenure. Claudius' successor, Nero, was was his great nephew, and Nero was a madman who eventually persecuted Christians. These were leaders committed to false gods, which is remarkable Because it's leaders like these, this is the contemporary context where the Apostle Paul says to the government, there must be respect and submission. There is a point we must stress when we see this historical setting. Romans 13 is not about obeying an ideal, perfect government. Romans 13 is about how Christians are to respond to legitimate established governments, not perfect governments, not even good governments that follow the true God, but established states, legitimate countries. Now, we live in a country where people can literally make a living on the radio, podcasting, and on the news, and on television, constantly, harshly, consistently attacking those in government office. It is common to bash, to insult, to harass those in leadership. People who are typically normal and rational can become enraged at the mention of a differing political opinion. And we have the freedom of speech. That is their right to do so. But if we embrace a Christian worldview, I think Romans 13 will bring to us the conclusion that we are to show a ton of respect and grace with our government. What I mean is that we do not have to agree with the political opinions and actions of our leaders to show them respect. We can fully communicate it when we are drastically opposed to the policies and opinions of our political leaders. 
but we can do so with respect. If Christians in Rome could do that under Caesars, then surely the United States of America, Christians that are found living with the liberties we enjoy in this country, can do the same. So what does it mean to submit? Because that's what Romans 1 through 2 clearly calls us to do. I think it means that we are to show respect to our government. We are to hope for our government's good. We are to serve our government. We are to follow the laws that do not violate God's laws. Now, why should we submit to our government regardless to who wins any election? Look again in Romans 13, 1. Paul says, let every person... Be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. God in his wisdom determines the course of this world, in his providence, though it is mysterious. That was true for George W. Bush. That was true for Obama. That was true for Trump. And now it seems Biden. And Paul stresses that providence, not just for our country, but for the nations of this world throughout time. Now let's break that down because that could be very clearly bent and misunderstood. And we must resist that. I do not think Paul is saying that means all authority is necessarily good. I do not think that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. I think he's saying be careful to respect authority because God is in control. But the Lord can take bad individuals, bad governments, bad leaders, bad choices, and bring ultimate good out of it. We see this in the scriptures. In Acts 4, verse 24, in Acts 4, verse 24, the early Christian church was reflecting on this truth. In Acts 4, verse 24, we read this. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord, against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had determined beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You see, the government leaders murdered the most innocent man who ever lived. They murdered Jesus. They meant it for evil. And God took an evil situation and brought ultimate good out of it. The substitution for the sins of the world. The atonement of the Son of God. So I think Paul is addressing that a normal state is to be given a ton of grace and a ton of respect by Christians. In other words, we do not rise up against the state because of petty reasons. The state gets a lot of respect from believers. 
as we seek to live our lives ultimately for King Jesus. But while we radically respect the state, I must say, I do not think the Apostle Paul, nor any biblical author led by God's Spirit, says that we should follow the authorities 100% of the time. I do not think that's what they are saying. And once again, we've got to think biblically. Why? What other scriptures could shed light on this? Well, I think Acts chapter 5 does. In Acts chapter 5, in verse 27, we read this. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. The apostles were told not to proclaim Jesus by those who were reigning authorities of their time. And they said, that we cannot do. They refused to obey. So are there times when as Christians we express concern and maybe even refuse to follow authorities? Yes. Those times happen in the Scripture. If we were told not to witness, then we would continue to witness for our Lord. We speak up toward edicts that contradict the commands of our God. And think about Christians of the past who got this. And while they respected leadership, they opposed injustice wherever they found it. And they impacted the world for the better. Consider the evangelicals who challenged the horrendous evil of slavery in the abolitionist movement. Picture those who cited the cause for justice found in this book to take their stand against the vile, racist, sinful system of segregation. And they said that God's word demanded justice in such a matter. Reflect on those who call for the protection and well-being of the unborn and all the vulnerable of society. Ponder about those who took up the cause of the poor and loved those in poverty like Jesus did and sought their well-being because Jesus very, very clearly says he brings good news to the poor. There are times where we must speak out. There are times where we cannot be silent. But yes, we stress again, government is ordained by God. If we had no government, there would be anarchy. And God uses flawed government and common grace to protect. Verse 2 again. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. But our ultimate allegiance must be to God Almighty. Now, as Christians, this does not mean that we have to love every decision that a president or any government leader makes. We don't have to share their political views to show respect and submission. Historically and rightfully, Christians disagreed with the false worship of the Roman gods that Claudius and Nero would have used the government 
to promote. But still, they knew in the totality of the Scripture and with this letter that they were to submit to such authorities. We will have leaders we disagree with, but armed with a Christian worldview, we will respect their office and we will pray for their good. And I believe this is an application of our text. An application of Romans 13 is this. Pray for government leaders to pursue justice. Look with me again in verse 3. For rulers are not a tear to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now once again, do I think the Apostle Paul is saying that we will always have the luxury of getting to be in a just government, a good government? No. But I do think he's saying that in a normal state, in a typical country, the government will strive to punish wrongdoers. It would be hard for any government to survive if this wasn't their aim. In other words, the state has legitimate power to use force against evildoers. Now, we need to pray for our leaders to use their power correctly, knowing that all of our leaders are flawed human beings, but also humbly acknowledging we are all flawed human beings. We need to pray for their pursuit of justice, pray to use force in a way that is righteous. We need to pray that our leaders recognize God has given them their position to serve the good of their people. Is that not what we see in verse 4? For he is God's servant for your good. We need to pray that our leaders recognize that. That their office is not to exalt themselves, but to take care of the people they serve. They should pursue justice in ways that are fair. Our government should be critical of the systems that we have created. That we can admit when the system is unjust to certain groups... And that our government needs to be open to reform as time goes on to try to always do it better. Constantly acknowledging, we're flawed, they're flawed, we're sinners, they're sinners, we're going to mess up. But we can reflect and we can think about ways to do it better in the future. And I think to do so, we need to make this application as well. We must display respect for the temporary work of our government. Look with me again in verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. <clears throat> now, I want you to finish a phrase for me. Are you ready? It's gonna, you guys can do it at home. You may look like you're talking to yourself and someone's in the other room, but that's okay. But you guys that are here, are you ready? Finish this phrase for me. No taxation without... You all passed your history test for today. I'm very proud of you as a history teacher. Very good. We are taught at a very early age to despise taxes. It is in the revolutionary mentality that is in our DNA as Americans, as the posterity 
of those who took their stand against Britain. Now, don't get me wrong. As an American in a republic, you have every right to vote for people that you think will use taxes justly. You have a right to point out when the government taxes wrongly or incorrectly, as long as you do so respectfully. But I think Romans 13 is as much about our attitude as it is about our actions. Our government leaders do deserve the right to tax. And that can be hard coming from a revolutionary stance, but look at verse 6. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God. Now, they may deserve taxes, they deserve respect and honor, but they do not deserve for you to agree with all of their actions. They may not necessarily deserve your vote, but they deserve our respect because they are legitimate authorities. Now, in Paul's time, when this letter was written, Christians would have been paying taxes to an empire that literally used their tax money to propagate the agenda of Rome, to build up the religion of Rome. And if Christians in that environment could pay taxes in that hostile environment, then surely we can where we get such a voice in our government today. Jesus Christ himself had to address this issue. In Mark 12, verse 13... Jesus addressed this issue of taxes. Mark 12, verse 13, says this. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin, he asked them. Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Remember, these are taxes to the Roman Empire, engulfed in false ways and false worship. And Jesus shows respect to this authority to do its temporary job, even if they do it in a flawed way. And we should respect our government the same way. The same author of Romans, the Apostle Paul, says it like this in 1 Timothy 2. In 1 Timothy 2, 1, Paul says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. I think this verse sheds so much light on helping us to understand the book of Romans. And it's from the same exact author. We should pray for government leaders to rule in such a way that we, the church, Christians, can live godly lives for King Jesus. I think Paul wants us to be doing ministry for Christ. We should pray that our government pursues justice, taxes fairly, protects its people, and leaves the church alone to be going about and promoting the kingdom of God. And as Christians, 
we should be model citizens who vote, who pay our taxes, who respect our leaders, our flawed and perfect leaders, knowing we too are flawed and perfect people. And do you know why we should do that? Because we know our hope does not eternally rest on any man-made nation. Christians scattered throughout the world today do not have to put their ultimate hope in Britain or France or China or Japan or any nation, not even the United States, because all governments on earth, if the word of God is true and it is, all governments on earth are temporary. The prophet Daniel knew this. The prophet Daniel saw this. In Daniel 7, verse 13, this is what Daniel says. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Sometimes I think we can take for granted the awe of this. When Daniel wrote this centuries before Jesus was even born, he made a prediction. One day, there will be this Son of Man, and people from all the nations will worship him. What do we see right now happening in the world? Why did we gather here today to worship the Son of Man, to worship Jesus? Why are our brothers and sisters gathered throughout the world this day to hear the Scriptures read and to sing his praises, to worship the king of kings. Daniel made a prediction that we're seeing fulfilled right now and will ultimately be fulfilled in the kingdom of Jesus. And guys, I want to tell you something. I love our nation. I am an unapologetic patriot for the United States of America. I'm a history teacher. I've committed my career to letting the next generation know about our country and how to participate in it. I love our nation, but it is a flawed government, like all governments, because all human beings are flawed and sinners. And the USA, and all nations, and all countries will one day cease. And do you know why? Because there is a king that will return, and only his kingdom will stand, and only his kingdom is eternal. And his name is Jesus. So as Christians, our ultimate political party should not be Democrat, Republican, or anything else. Our ultimate political affiliation should be monarchist. Because there is a king that will return one day. And he will reign. Now until he comes back, he has told us here in Romans 13, 1-7. That even though Paul wrote this through the Spirit, these might as well be the words of Jesus. Jesus is the authority from Genesis to revelation, and it is Christ who compels us through his word to respect our government. The return of Jesus is not presented in scripture as an excuse to be passive. We must be soft, we must be good, we must be participating in this world, we must be those who seek justice and mercy and righteousness and call governments to do the same. The return of Jesus is never presented in scripture 
as a means to just tolerate injustice because, well, eventually one day it'll end. No, we are to have an impact right now, this day of love, loving everyone we possibly can and doing everything we possibly can to point to the ultimate good found in Jesus Christ. But the return of Christ is presented in Scripture as a foundation of hope that no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, in the end, God wins. And he has invited us to experience that victory for eternity. Now, I want to stress again, we are blessed in this nation. Regardless of who won Tuesday, we know that that person doesn't get to reign forever. Jesus gets to reign forever. And I think in the midst of an election, we should worship God for the good things we have. Because think about it. In many nations in this world, we have brothers and sisters in Christ. And this day, it is illegal for them to gather and worship Jesus. In many nations of this world, there are people trapped in warfare between rival powers. And, and here we are in peace. In many nations of this world, you cannot speak up against the leadership. You don't get to critique the leaders of your nation. But we do. We have the freedom of speech. We have the freedom to speak up and to explain our opinion of how this nation is going. Think of many who have died to preserve our freedom. Think of soldiers who risked their lives. And those who continue to risk their lives this very day for our freedom. This, this week we will celebrate Veterans Day. Think of those among us who serve so that we can do this very thing this morning. So that we can worship our Lord. There is so much we have to be thankful for as Christians who happen to live in the United States. I think what the Bible would have us to do now in this time is be grateful for our government. It's to pray for our leaders to pursue and champion justice, mercy, and righteousness in our own time. And ultimately trust that this government is temporary. And if you will accept Jesus Christ into your heart, if you will come to know personally the King of kings and Lord of lords, that you are promised a kingdom that will not fade, a kingdom that will last for eternity. I want to close with these words that I think equip us with the attitude needed to live out Romans 13, 1 through 7. And it comes from another apostle, the apostle Peter. In 1 Peter 2, 17, he wrote these words that applied to the recipients of his epistle and apply to us as well. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have a kingdom that is the final kingdom. And God, we are so grateful this morning that if we will admit that we are sinners, if we will believe in Jesus who died and rose again and come to know him in a relationship as our Lord and Savior, that we get to be a part of that kingdom. And the most glorious thing about that kingdom, God, is that Jesus is there. Jesus is not a means to treasure. Jesus is the treasure. 
The king is our treasure. And God, you've offered us this chance for this relationship for eternity. To know that no matter what happens in this flawed world, there's a perfect kingdom coming. God, I pray that does encourage us this day to want to bring change in our own time. Change to help the vulnerable. Change to love others. Change to be salt and light to this world. But I pray that we do so on the foundation knowing that though this world may fade, your kingdom stands forever. And God, I pray that we're so grateful for that, that we commit our lives to glorifying the king of that kingdom, Jesus Christ. And it is only in his name that we pray. Amen. Let us stand. We will close singing the praises of the King of Kings. If you need to come at this time, if you have a decision to make, if you need prayer or anything, you come as we sing the praises of the King.